What's up, my dudes? What is up, my dudettes? It's the Casey's Corner Podcast. We're broadcasting live today on this Wednesday. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way. Um, I've recorded so many calling guests in advance that I let me make sure I get this right. <laughs> I have several shows in a row with the calling guests already lined up. But today, we're going to have newly uh, elected State Representative District 54, Joseph Ogeron, on the line. Um, Joseph Ogeron um, won his election over several other competitors this past weekend. And Mr. Ogeron talks to us about his plans while being in office. And he is simply put the most interesting guy I've ever interviewed um, because he's done a little bit of everything. Business, you know, in the oil and gas industry, boating industry in southeast Louisiana. Uh, he's a scientist, uh, which I think is incredible. Um, he talks about his experience working at a candy making plant uh, in the northeast. Great interview. You guys are going to want to listen and kudos to our local voters. I think we got this one right. We're going to have Mr. Joseph Ogeron on a little bit later in the show. In the third segment of the show, we're going to have Joe Tuchon with the Southland Hogs Covenant Christian Academy Baseball as well. Uh, Coach Joe is uh, fresh off of winning not one but two state championships at the Dixie State Tournament. Uh, They've been playing throughout the summer at a time where uh, baseball and, you know, all sports are kind of on thin ice. Uh, Our travel ball teams have been playing, so we're going to talk to Coach Joe about that experience and some of the things that they've been doing. Uh, then we'll wrap up with a big long sports update, like, like almost 50 minutes of sports talk. We talk about MLB. I make some ba- Major League Baseball predictions. We do our betting blitz. We talk about you know PGA Tour, and uh, I take a bunch of questions from you guys. Um, got a bunch, a bunch of questions from you guys in the world of sports, so we'll talk about that. But we'll lead off this show, as we always do, talking some COVID-19. We would be remiss if we didn't touch on the topic that is making minds melt on social media throughout every uh, reach of my social media, which is the masking mandate that Governor John Bell Edwards has placed on the state of Louisiana. Um, First and foremost, kudos to Governor John Bell Edwards for doing this. If you're listening to this and and rolling your eyes and shaking your head, you are part of the problem. Um, Hate to be so blunt about it, but you are part of the problem. Uh, we've we've got to try something different. I, I think back to the LSU-Alabama National Championship game where, obviously, running shotgun option with Jordan Jefferson was not working. Alabama had studied it. Hey, they had fixed whatever holes they had from the regular season meeting. It wasn't working. And all I hear in, in this roar is all of my social media following saying, try something different. Put in Jarrett Lee. Try something different. That's where we are right now in our COVID response. What we're doing right now, which is basically nothing, because basically nothing is restricted anymore. Uh, The only thing that's really, truly shut down are massive gatherings like professional sporting events, concerts, things of that sort. Uh, So nothing really is overly restricted anymore. And what we're doing isn't working. Our numbers continue to go up. I'll give you the most updated numbers uh, here in just a second. Um, But what we're doing isn't working anymore. So... Uh, I'm fully in favor of this this masking mandate, and I'm fully in favor of just trying it out. Just see how it goes, you know, and if it causes the numbers to go down, great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But I tell you this, um, I've spoken to several prominent people in the medical field, including Dr. David Elias, who will be our calling guest on the next show. Um, he explains to us why the masks work. Um, to me, it's cut and dry. 
I will believe any single day of the week. I'll believe a scientist and someone in the medical field over some idiot who shares a robot uh, blanket, copy paste, Facebook post. Uh, I will trust a doctor over those people any day of the week. I will trust a doctor in the medical field who's seeing patients who is currently dealing with this virus over someone who is copy pasting a Facebook post from someone in Maine about how there were a false positive uh, outbreak in the state of Maine or in the state of Florida, whatever it may be. Uh, I'll trust a doctor over those morons any day of the week. And I think that if we all just had the inclination and the open-mindedness approach of just being willing to try and being willing to give it an, an honest effort, I think we would have so much of a better result. But instead, what I'm seeing is instead of the willingness to try, there's a willingness to continue to spread this, this thick, uh, just line of bs of well this is a political issue they're trying to take your rights away they're trying to take your freedoms away then no man with being a citizen in a democratic society comes responsibilities like the the government and the you know the lawmakers have the ability to place restrictions on us that's the reason why we have to wear seat belts when we get in cars that's the reason why you can't walk around the streets butt ass naked that's the reason why um, you aren't able to do many of the things that you're not able to do. You have freedom as an individual to do it, but you also, you know, the lawmakers and, and the, you know, the police and everyone involved have the ability to penalize you when you, you know, act out and do it. So, um, and, and I, I'm seeing again this massive, well, well, Casey, it's not a law. It's just a mandate. It's not a law. Well, here's the thing what happens if you don't wear this mask, Okay. First and foremost, you're, you're protecting yourself, but also the other people. So you're making everybody around you be potentially at risk. Um, so th I think that that's shameful. The fact that you would not be willing to do that and you'd be willling to put every single person that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis at risk, I think is shameful. And I think it's selfish. And I think that it is it's very indicative of the, the state of the world today that uh, everyone is so inner focused so much that they would not be willing to take a single second of their day nor inconvenience any piece of their respective day uh, to protect another person. I think that that's shameful. Uh, but here's the second thing it does is it puts the business that you are frequenting at risk of potentially being in violation of this because the businesses are required to mandate you guys to wear a mask in their establishments. And if uh, you know, 10 or 12 people are in the same establishment, not masked up and they're, they're violating the rules. Um, guess who's going to be at fault for that? It's going to be the business's ass. It's not going to be yours. Um, so protect the small business owners here. Now they also have a responsibility and a requirement to warn you and to tell you, Hey, you're required to wear a mask. And, and if you don't like it, you know, leave. And then if you don't leave, then it's trespassing, then it falls on you. But what I'm getting at is that if we have to go through this entire tangled web of, who's at fault, who's not at fault, then it's not going to work because we're not taking it seriously enough for it to work. So just get away from the, and I call it the CSI mindset, get away for one second, the idea that, that like no one is screwing you over, man. Like no one is screwing you over. We're just trying to do something different to get this situation out the door so that we could get back to life as normal. Like people think that all the threats are idle. People think that government is trying to take their rights away. I saw one one clown talk on social media saying that his freedoms are being taken away because he had to wear a mask. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? Like you could still drive where you want to go. You could still do what you want to do. You could go any place in the world that you want to go. 
you think that you don't have freedom anymore because you have to wear a damn mask on your face when you go out in public. How selfish and how much of a jerk can you be? Um, it it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. So just my challenge to the listeners, I'm not going to get you know overly angry and aggressive about this like I do sometimes. Just give it a try. Just give it a try. I, it, it sucks. It's hot. Yeah, I know it's hot. And I know that it's not comfortable. I know that it feels different. I, I, I get it. I, I get it 100%. But you know what else sucks? Not having football sucks. Not having high school sports sucks. Having virtual classes for children instead of in-class learning, that sucks. And those are that, that's where we're headed if we can't cooperate. Put down the bottle of wine. Put down the case of beer. You don't have to have a gathering with 50 people this weekend at your back, at your, on your back patio. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Your Snapchat story doesn't have to be loaded with people shotgunning beers for one weekend. It's going to be okay. We're not going to think you're any more or less cool if you put it down for one weekend. Just give it a chance. Give it a chance to work. Now, here's the thing. I've already heard people complaining about this. It's Wednesday. <laughs> the mask mandate's been in place since Monday. People are already bitching and complaining because the numbers aren't going down. That's not the way this works. Your numbers are always 14 days ahead of where you are. Or rather, I said that wrong. You are always 14 days behind your numbers. So what I mean by that is, if the masks truly work, we're not going to see it reflected in our numbers for another 14 to 21 days. Because the cases that are coming in right now are based on interactions that were happening two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So they're based on yesterday's mistakes, not today's proactive approach. So for us to tell if this is really making an impact, we've got to batten the hatches for a full two to three week period. That's all I'm asking. Okay, we're, we're July 15th. Do it until August 1st. And I promise you, if we all do it until August 1st, the numbers will W-I-L-L, all caps, will begin to go down. And then guess what? Then we can maybe start putting some things on the table in terms of having football, in terms of uh, you know being able to uh, change some of the momentum and some of the things that are restricted may become unrestricted. But our behavior has to change for that to happen because what we're doing right now simply isn't enough because we're not doing enough to stop the spread of this virus because not enough people are taking it seriously. And we're losing out on economic opportunities. Tarpon Rodeo has been postponed. Uh, high school sports are on extreme thin ice. We're losing out on economic opportunities and opportunities to have fun because we're unwilling to sacrifice today for a better tomorrow. And I think that's absolutely positively shameful. And one thing no one could tell me is to practice what I preach because I have not been going anywhere since this started. I have been staying home. I have been working going out only when necessary and if I could do it you guys could do it but it takes the inner uh, strength and the self-discipline enough to understand that it's for a greater good it's for a greater good and it's for a brighter tomorrow and no you know they're not trying to screw you over no this is not a democrat-led conspiracy no this is not uh you know big brother trying to limit what you know like put all that bullshit in in the in the past that's not what's happening here this is a situation where uh it's a pandemic we we never expected this to happen but it did and now we've got to take extra steps to try to get it in the past the newest numbers from the state of louisiana are as follows we now have 84,131 uh covid cases in the state 
53,288 of those patients have recovered, so that's good. Uh, 3351 is our death total. We've now tested more than 1 million people. Well, let me let me paraphrase that, or let me rephrase that, because if I say that, um, people are going to eat me alive and say I'm part of the conspiracy pact. We have now performed more than 1 million tests. We have not tested more than 1 million people, because I'm aware that several people have received more than one test. Because when you test positive, um, sometimes before you could go back to work, you got to test again and then again and then again and whatever it may be. So we have performed more than 1 million tests, but we have not tested 1 million people. Just want to clarify that because we have so many medical experts on social media these days. And I want to make sure that I'm on all my P's and my Q's so that all these folks who barely graduated high school but yet have doctorates in uh, pandemic virus research are satisfied with the way I'm portraying this. Um we have 1,369 patients in the hospital with COVID ailments. 149 of those are on ventilators. Uh, that number has continued to increase. But good news in today's Wednesday update is that the increase was kind of slower uh, than what we'd seen. Uh, we had been seeing like 50, 60 new hospitalizations a day. Um, that ain't any good for anybody. Uh, but today it was, I think, seven more than the previous day. So that's certainly good news. And, and another piece of good news is that we have now been under 10% in our percent positive rate as a state for three straight days. That number had accelerated above 10% into the 11, 12, 13% range, but for three days in a row, we've kept it under 10, which is good. Now, what is percent positive? That is the number of new cases you add in a day divided by the total number of tests that you process, and that'll tell you how many percent of your total test came back positive. The federal government wants that number to be below 10, wants that number to be as low as possible. Um, and we had been doing it for a long time, but then we kind of climbed back over the 10% range in recent days. But for three days in a row now, we've been in the 8 to 9% range, which is good. It's, that's usually a good sign of progress. That's usually a good sign of um, where your picture is standing. So the idea that We've now had three days of under 10 and then also a smaller increase in our hospitalizations today. That should be considered good news and progress that maybe the momentum is slowing a little bit in terms of the virus. And maybe we could be in a position now where we could kind of sort of uh, flip this thing around and maybe try to fight this thing off. Um, in Lafouche Parish, let's see, I'll try to pull up the data here. In Lafouche Parish, we now have... As we pull up the state map, which is working incredibly slowly, we have 1,721 COVID cases total. 91 people have died. Uh, the numbers in Lafouche are continuing to go up, um, but the death total has not. Uh, we have only seen one death in the last, I think, eight or nine days in Lafouche. So that's good. People are holding on strong. Um, and, and, of, and I should note, of that 1,721, there's only about 500 or so active cases of the virus in Lafouche Parish. So that's the thing. Like we see these numbers in the thousands, 80-something thousand, 90-something thousand, whatever it may be, and we kind of get intimidated by that. But we forget that people recover and people unfortunately perish. And we don't – that 80,000 number is not a, a number of how many people right now are sickly in Louisiana. That's a number of how many people in the last four months have been sick in Louisiana. And right now in Lafouche, it's the same way, 1721 total cases, um, but active cases are numbering 500 or so. Um, hospitalizations are, as we said, a little bit more steady today than what they've been. Um, but our region has been a little bit more troubling. Uh, region 3, 
on July 4th, we did a show and we were bragging only 13 patients hospitalized with COVID ailments in Region 3. Uh, that number has jumped all the way up to now 63. So that's a steep increase now in 11 days. Uh, so we'd like to see that number kind of begin to level off. Five patients are on ventilators in Region 3. Um, so that's slowly um, kind of leveling off. Some of the areas, though, that are really hurting, and it's scary. I mean, it's really scary to look at these numbers. Um, Kadiana, man, like the numbers just keep going up and up and up. They're now 263 patients hospitalized. Y'all, on June 20th, my birthday, they had 57 patients hospitalized. So in like not even hardly a month, they have, you know, seen their numbers go up in, in, very incrementally. Region 5, southwest Louisiana, their numbers have gone up big time um, from 26 hospitalized on June 24th to 136 now. I mean, that's a huge increase. Central Louisiana, their numbers have gone up quite a bit. Um, Baton Rouge area, their numbers have gone up quite a bit. But one of the things that I'm seeing now, and I don't know if this is um, you know, the start of a trend or if this is just a blip in the data, uh, we could pray that it's the start of a trend. I'm starting to see some of the areas where numbers were increasing tenfold every day, going up and up and up at big numbers. Those some of those hot spots are beginning to sort of cool down a little bit. And that's only two or three days worth of data. Please don't, you know, run the big bold Facebook status saying that Casey's telling you that this is over. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that in some of the more troubled areas, like Charles area, Lafayette area, central Louisiana, um, the rate of the most fast incremental growth is beginning to slow. And if we could then slow it to a halt and then started getting downward and, you know, in the right direction again, then maybe just maybe we could fend off this latest spike. Maybe just maybe we could get things trending back in the right direction again. And maybe just maybe we could start getting back some of the progress that we had lost, uh, some of the progress that we had earned from, you know, May through June, the beginning of June, and we could get things going back in the right direction. Um, let's see. Let's do some more detailed analysis of our region. ICU bedding in Region 3, 48 in use, 45 available. That's great news. That's great news. Even with the increase or the increases that we've seen, like our ICU bedding remains steady and stable. That's that's great news. Region 5, which is Lake Charles, there's only 15 ICU beds left. Um, so they're running out of bedding. Lafayette area, 34 beds left, 147 in use. That's not great. That's not a good ratio. So the, for the, the folks out there, the conspiracy theorists that are saying that this is all made up, ask the people in Lake Charles and Lafayette if it's all made up. They're hurting badly right now. Now, granted, they're the only two regions in the state right now that are in grave danger, um, but they're hurting pretty badly right now. Uh, so we've got to pray for those regions, Region 4 and Region 5. Our total bedding in Region 3, we've got 259 beds available, so that's good news. Um, ventilator use, our ventilator use is higher than it's been in a while. We've got 20 patients on ventilators in Region 3, uh, but we've got 101 ventilators available. Like, look, here's the thing. Everybody wants to be so critical of this political leader or that political leader or whatever it may be. And I don't care what side of the fence you're on, left, right, in between. We can, we cannot escape the, the this pandemic without applauding the federal government for their work on ventilators. Because at one time, we were in grave danger of running out of ventilators. Like, that was a legitimate grave concern. Now it's not a concern. Louisiana has 
more than a thousand ventilators available. We're not going to run out of ventilators. So kudos to the federal government for giving us reinforcements. We're in great shape. 20 patients, as we said, on, in Region 3 are on ventilators. But rem remember, just five of those patients are COVID patients. So that means there are 15 other folks who are on ventilators that don't have COVID. And that's, that's the general theme, I guess, of the entire pandemic is that, man, we've got to get healthier as a state because if we had more bedding available at all times, then this wouldn't have been any type of issue. The, the reason why we're low on bedding is because... Um, is because we have a limited amount of bedding at all times because we have so many unhealthy patients even in normal times. So we're, we've, we're, we've got to fight that off. We've got to become healthier as a state. And hopefully that's the greatest lesson that we learn in this pandemic is that um, you know we, we'll get out of this, push this thing to the side, and then get healthier as a state because we desperately need it. Jam-packed show coming your way today. Uh, we're going to catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go to new state representative, Mr. Joseph Ogeron. Great interview. Great guy. He's going to do wonderful things for this area. Then after that, uh, Joe Tutal, Covenant Christian Academy, Southland Hogs, and then a sports update, all that and more. It's a busy show, jam-packed day here in the Casey's Corner Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. So today I come to you guys with some fantastic news. At a time in news media where everyone is shrinking their coverage, everyone is putting up paywalls so that you have to pay for your coverage, everybody is printing fewer copies of their paper and finding good, reliable news is harder than ever, we at the Lafouche Gazette are going the opposite direction. Today I'm proud to announce that instead of shrinking the number of papers that we print, we're expanding our coverage and we're expanding our coverage area. We're now going to have boxes in Northern Lafouche, in the Northern Raceland communities, in the St. Charles communities, and in the Thibodeau community. We're going to be doing the best that we can to reach every single household in Lafouche Parish and every single person who wants access to our newspaper in the physical copy and online will be able to get that. So thank you guys so much, very much from the bottom of my heart. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone on our team. Thank you so much for allowing this to happen. And keep reading. We are LaFouche Strong 100% of the time. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFougeGazette.com. We are honored and thrilled to be joined by our newest state representative-elect, Mr. Joseph Ogeron. Mr. Ogeron, how are you today, my friend? Doing fine, Casey. Big day uh, for you and your campaign on Saturday. You guys um, you know, you get a, a large percentage of the votes, win the election outright. Uh, first and foremost, uh, say some words to the, to, the, to the voting public. I'm sure you're awfully excited to be representing our area. Absolutely. I'd like to thank everyone who voted for me and all constituents of the 54th District. I look forward to serving each and every one of y'all and representing y'all in Baton Rouge. Uh, those that know me know I'm a limited government, constitutional, conservative Republican who believes in citizens' representation. So uh, I, I'm someone who uh, doesn't have to necessarily be a, uh, a, a lifelong politician, but a Someone from the from the uh, you know the business side who com comes in and decides to represent is uh, what I'm hoping to be able to do for the fine people of District 54. 
Tell us a little bit about your background. I know that you have an extensive business background and extensive ex- extensive educational background. Tell us about some of the places you've been, some of the things you've done. Okay. Uh, well, b- born and raised primarily in the Golden Meadow, South Lafourche area. Uh, of course, graduated from South Lafourche High. Uh, went to all the Golden Meadow Elementary Schools and graduated from South Lafourche High in uh, 1984 in the middle of the oil and gas downturn. Uh, came from a family that had a, a boat business, uh, formerly known as Montco Offshore, that my dad had started. Uh, it, the, in the in the oil and gas downturn at that time of my graduation, was sat down and told, uh, "You really need to go get an education. You got a, you got a good head on your shoulders. Go get an education in something else." And at the time, I was very interested in uh, in physics, uh, all the, the the pure sciences. Uh, was always of, of a particular interest to me. So I went to Nickel State and uh, got a four-year degree there and then went on to the University of Texas at Dallas and got a got a, a doctorate, a master's, and then subsequently a doctorate. And uh, was all scheduled to work at the Superconducting Super Collider. Whenever that got canceled, looked back to the bayou and I said, well, the, the oil and gas, this is five, you know, nine years later, oil and gas industry is doing a lot better. I could go back, but I opted to uh, to move my young family to uh, New Jersey, where I took a job with Eminem Mars, the candy company, and it was a little odd that they wanted a physicist, but uh, <laughs> they were they were looking for people to uh, to run forecast models for all of the crops that they bought raw materials for, so cocoa, wheat, sugar, guar, etc. And uh, so I was a commodity scientist for for uh, several years working for M&M Mars. And uh, let's just say it was nice living in New Jersey, uh, getting four seasons, four full seasons every year, but with a young family and no family infrastructure up there, nobody from the Baya up in New Jersey. Uh, it was not long that my wife and I said, we got to move back down the Bayou. And once we did in 1999, I said, I'm never going to live anywhere else. I had, to, I had an unexpected, uh, intense appreciation of Bayou Lafourche and, uh, and Lower Lafourche Parish and, uh, said, I'm never going to move anywhere else. I want to live the rest of my days here. And I went back into the boat business, and for that, I uh, I primarily focused on on utilizing the lift boats, primarily meant for the oil and gas industry to be used outside of oil and gas, whether it be scientific coring or offshore wind up on the East Coast, trying to find kind of alternative revenue streams for these vessels, and uh, did that. Had a couple of successes in uh, helping put up America's first offshore wind farm uh, out in Block Island, Rhode Island. And uh, then uh, that kind of parlayed into getting a job, at uh, a part-time job at Nichols, where I became an adjunct professor and taught Introduction to Maritime Management, which I still do. Actually, this will be, I believe, my eighth year uh, teaching in the fall semester to uh, junior and senior level business students. Um, and uh well let's just say with the with the most recent oil and gas downturns the employment opportunities changed of course i uh i was uh, a friend of of reggie bagala and whenever he passed away and uh we we just felt that we could not lose the momentum we had gotten in this last election this positive 
conservative uh, momentum for for Bayou Lafourche and Terrebonne with all the the players that we had between Big Mike Facey in the Senate and and uh, uh, Tanner McGee and and Jerome Zarang and Brian Fontenot and Reggie. You know, we just had to keep that momentum going. And whenever Reggie passed away, uh, I just felt uh, maybe maybe it would be time for me to step up and and hopefully. Uh, take the torch and continue on where Reggie was left off and, and uh, continue for the great folks of uh, District 54. And that's how I got where I am today. Amen to that. And, and in terms of some some plans and some goals, we often ask political leaders, you know, hey, what are your plans for your first 100 days, so to speak? What are some of the things you're looking to get done here pretty early? Well, uh, first of all, it's, it's trying to get on the committee assignments. You know, it would be nice to get on the, many of the same ones that Reggie was on. Uh, I know he was on transportation, uh, and, and in, in that direction, we got the infrastructure grant to, to uh, primarily start the process to complete uh, the elevated highway between Fouchon and Golden Meadow. Uh, that's, that's important to me that that gets done, as well as the additional capital outlays that will need to be able to complete the uh, connector between the Galliano Airport and, and the four-lane uh, and then some subsequent projects in need, such as the Valentine Bridge replacement, or uh, if Fouchon ultimately expands with their deep water repair port, uh, they're going to need a, a replacement bridge to get to, to the to the beach side of Fouchon. Uh, and of course, uh, always in the in the mix is continued armoring of the road between Grand Isle and and Fouchon. That needs to be done and upkept. Uh, seems to take a step back every time we have a, a tropical storm or a hurricane. So continued armoring and, and protection of that route is important on the transportation side. Uh, some of the other things, you know, I'm, I'm big on uh, beyond infrastructure. I'm big on education, having been in college for nine years and now teaching. So uh, basically for, for the local schools uh, in Lafourche Parish, getting... Um, getting the appropriate salaries or getting higher salaries for better uh, retaining of teachers or quality teachers to be st- to stay in the area and continue teaching and and it takes higher salaries to be able to do that and that's a goal of mine and not necessarily raising taxes but finding the monies within the already extensively taxed Lafourche Parish citizenry and finding where uh, some of those monies that uh, that that the the people of Lafourche Parish pay in taxes, uh, some of the highest in the state, that is, uh, how it could be um, reapportioned appropriately with legislative actions if required to be able to make sure that teachers get higher pay, uh, pay raises and, and, uh, and for, uh, for better retainment and better uh, school systems. So that's, a, that's a, one of the things that I'm going to be working on. Uh, coastal restoration is another one. You know, I'm, I've been on the restorer retreat board for almost eight years, as well, and uh, and being being in tune with all of the CPRA master plan projects of uh, armoring the uh, protecting the barrier islands, our first line of defense, as well as uh, marsh creation projects and uh, and uh, freshwater and and sediment diversion projects such as mid barataria mid breton the freshwater davis pond uh, all the advantages that come from from that the new growth that uh, that we're seeing as we we keep a, a pressured uh, uh, freshwater on that estuary area it's going to help grow it back give us better vegetation better storm surge protection 
um, you know, and well, some of my, during campaigning, I got to meet with some of the levy districts, and they talked about how, uh, you know, with with each recent storm surge, how it, things that used to take three days for water to rise in one area and eventually get get an equivalent rise or maximum rise in a further area to the north used to take three days. Now, you know, could take up to just 24 hours. And that's a direct action of uh, loss of, of marshland yeah. uh, to slow down that that surge of water. So we need to we need to grow that back. So that's some of the things that uh, that are that are on the top of my agenda. I would think would be the uh, education, coastal restoration, and infrastructure. Very good. And and in terms of you know our area's economy, we're so heavily dependent upon oil and gas. And I know that. It, it's somewhat of an unfair question because, you know, you can't control the price of oil in Baton Rouge. But what are some of the things you're going to do to try to, you know, preserve and protect and, and, and grow our oil and gas industry, which is so important to our area? Well, first of all, getting the economy, uh, getting us past this current unprecedented time and getting our economy fully cranked up so that people are traveling again, uh, both by uh, railroad and and air. Uh, therefore, you know, we, we'd be using more hydrocarbons and that basically take out the oversupply that we have and draw for more demand, uh, for production. That would be number one. That'll immediately get our 39, $40 barrel oil back up to hopefully 55, you know, 50, 55, possibly $60, which, uh, we've seen is, is quite reasonable for, for sustained, uh, economic, uh, I'm not gonna say, Maybe growth, but but holding at least holding holding ground. Sure. Uh, beyond that, you know, uh, I've like I said, I've done some work on on uh, offshore renewables. So basically, diversifying. Uh, even though the oil and gas will always be the bread and butter for at least for the for the foreseeable future in this area, a lot of these companies there are alternative revenue streams that you could uh, that you could sidestep into with your the talent uh, that was grown from this particular industry and finding new ways to do that would be real real good uh, lastly I think you know some of the projects that I worked on while I was in the uh, in the vessel business, offshore oil and gas vessel business included loop uh, projects for loop the Louisiana offshore oil port originally meant to only import foreign oil uh, some of the projects that I did were removing the check valve so that they can now export crude. And uh, ultimately down the line, as the U.S. becomes, uh, maybe, you know, grows to be less hydrocarbon dependent, we'll still have a tremendous amount of uh, of the world's refining capabilities. So, I, you know, kind of a far future type of thing that I would see would be we may be going greener in the U.S. and using less hydrocarbons, but we could still import in other people's crude, refine it, and export out uh, for a profit the the refined products of of uh, diesel or aviation gas and other other chemical process uh, chemical products so that that's hopefully something that uh, that at least the oil and gas industry locally will always be part of at least the midstream the refining process so you you touched on something that um i i think is excellent and it's the 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 push to maybe diversify a little bit and use some of the the infrastructure to do different things so that we're not fully dependent on Oil, though, as you said, it's going to continue to be our bread and butter. Is that something in your opinion, in your opinion, that is realistic and something that we could pull off and try to kind of diversify our workforce a little bit? 
Yes, absolutely. Like I said, uh, you know, bringing bringing some of my Gulf of Mexico oil patch mariners and taking these these uh, vessels that were you know basically designed and built for the Gulf of Mexico shelf. Uh, uh, operations and taking them and saying, look guys, guess what? We're going up to, to New Jersey and we're going to install some offshore wind turbines. Let's just say, let's not worry about how or why these people want these turbines up there. Let's bring these <laughs> boats up there. And they're, the, the mariners were more than excited to to basically make use of these vessels, which is their, their lifeblood and, and, and use them in ways beyond their original intended means. So they were always excited to uh, to get out the oil patch knowing that knowing that it would still be here and that 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 was you know the fallback position where we would always be coming back to but they really appreciated and what what we saw while going up there is that despite the east coast having a long rich maritime history all the way back to the pilgrims let's go but but whaling and and commercial fishing and shipping and tug and barge what they do not have up on the east coast is an infrastructure to support 3,500 platforms, which is what we have right here in Fushon, Cameron, uh, Venice, etc. And and there's there's something significantly different whenever you go up there that they basically just don't have the sa- exactly the same mantra and and safety mentality and the 24/7, 365 and the uh, I know I'm going to say SMS safety management system work compliance that has been ingrained in us here in the Gulf of Mexico over the last several years, over the last 10, 15 years since BP and stuff like that. But that, that is what will be needed up on the East Coast and that infrastructure to be able to, I, I call it beehive infrastructure, like Fushon is the hive and the, the bees take off every morning and go out to, you know, to all distributed places in the Gulf. And whenever these wind turbines and all get put up up there, they will be similar to, to the same thing and uh so that the, the skills and the talents that we have just evolved into in our area really are not uh not natively present there so it's uh it's time for us to kind of stretch our wings and, and see where we could we could teach a, a few people a few things and in the meantime make a dollar doing it so that's my plan anyway as far as the diversification for some of the oil and gas industry workers yeah sounds good to me um now Elephant in the room, you're taking over during a national pandemic and numbers continue to rise. And uh, what are some of the things that, that you think we could do to to stay open, but also stay safe and, and you know, protect the most people possible? Uh, well, most importantly, the the elderly, the infirm, the people with comorbidities obviously have to take a, a an absolute extra level of precaution well beyond what all the rest whatever the rest of the populace needs to do that's number one uh number two this particular pandemic is you know i'm 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 not a virologist but uh but it 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 appears to the layman to or the educated layman to to exhibit some non-natural uh characteristics on who it attacks and how the age groups of how it spreads whether asymptomatically or symptomatically and uh, I think I think it's important that uh, we, after the fact, we do a, a, a postmortem on the whole um, the whole process of learning about it and and the, the initial actions we did to try to, as they say, bend the curve 
very important that we we did the lockdown that we did when we did in order to not overwhelm the uh, the hospital systems. But going forward, that was what the plan was was to bend the curve. It wasn't to completely eliminate. We're out of vaccine. You're not going to eliminate it. Uh, so so the increased cases to me is not uh, all that big of a surprise. It's it's kind of like we we kind of. I kind of expected that that would would eventually happen. It's just that it's happening with, uh, you know, from what I'm seeing in the news, at least, uh, uh, younger groups of people who uh, are having, you know, less uh, less critical issues with it or handling it better. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 still it's still something that we need to keep right on our forefront and uh, and and uh, you know keeping keep. In, keep doing the best we can to uh, to minimize it. But until a vaccine is found, we're just going to have to work our way through this. Mr. Ogeron, we like to have a little bit of fun on this podcast, and I was wondering how I was going to incorporate that talking to you because I don't know a ton about you, but you touched on something a minute ago. You said you worked at a candy plant. You've got to tell us yes, a story. Sir. You've got to tell us a story about what goes into making those candies because to me that is the most interesting thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, if you if you like M&Ms, you know they have a whole bunch of different variants of M&Ms. There's the, <laughs> the plain, the peanut, the air, the fudge brownie, and all of that. But if you if you really want to, I see, I don't want to say stick it to the man, but if you want to <laughs> if you want to eat M&Ms and and eat the one product that M&M Mars makes the least amount of profit off of, you got to get the almond uh, M&Ms. Uh, the, the almonds that they need to buy, and then since I was in the commodity side of things, I know that the almonds that they start, have to start the almond coated M&Ms, uh, or whatever, the, the almond enrolled M&Ms, uh, is the most expensive type of almonds that, that any company can, has to buy. And, and therefore that is their low, lowest profitable product of everything, uh, that they make. So, uh, so if you really want to treat yourself, eat almond M&Ms. How about that? Almond M&M. Sounds like a winner. Mr. Ogeron, thanks so much for the time. Good luck, and we'll stay in touch, okay? Thank you, Casey. It was enjoyable. Yes, Have sir. a great day. You too. We thank Mr. Joseph Ogeron for his time. The new state representative, District 54, representing our area. He's going to do a great job. Take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go on out to Covenant Christian Academy. Their baseball coach, Joe Touton, also the coach of the Southland Hogs. They just won a state championship, not one, but two state championships. We'll ask Coach Joe about that and more. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. Did you know that on LaFoucheGazette.com, we generate 1 million page views per month? Yes, that's not a typo. That's not me reading it wrong. That's not me selling you a bill of goods. We generate 1 million page views per month. That's 1 million times someone is on our website clicking their mouse and saying, hey, I want to read that. Did you know that our website, LaFoucheGazette.com, generates more than 200,000 individual users per month. There's 97,000 people in Lafouche Parish. We generate 200,000 viewers per month. We reach just about every single household in Lafouche Parish and even beyond. Contact us today for advertising and sales rates. If you want to get your business seen in a tough economic time, I promise you, if you invest in LafoucheGazette.com, your ad is going to be seen, and it's going to be seen by every single person in Lafouche Parish. Contact us today and get involved. 985-693-7229. Help us help you. We're all in this together. We're all Lafouche strong.
It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, we've got a local baseball coach at Covenant Christian Academy and the Southland Hogs, Coach Joe Tuton. Coach Joe, how are you, man? Good, buddy. How about you? Good, man. Um, yeah, this is our second time trying to record this part of the interview, so I apologize for asking the same question twice, but you guys had a great run at the state tournament yesterday, won a couple of titles. Talk to us about the way your guys played. Hey, I thought we really, our guys were really prepared, and uh, I thought we pitched really well. So, uh, you know, when you pitch good, you give yourself a chance to win. And uh, we had some really timely hitting. So, you know, uh, the guys, the kids really played well. You told us earlier in the summer, you said, hey, look, our guys are hungry. You know, we didn't have the summer finish like we wanted to last summer. Our guys are hungry. Um, it looked like that hunger really showed through this weekend, man, because you guys played great. You know, I, I tell you, Casey, I think the biggest thing is these, these kids that have, have missed their high school season, they just been starving out here to go out here and perform and, and get on the field. And I don't think our guys are taking it for granted. I think every time they go out there, they know it could be their last. And uh, they're giving their max effort. And I think, you know, when you give max effort with the talent that we have, we have a really good chance of winning because we have a lot of good local baseball players. Coach, your 17s were on fire. I was looking at some of the scores throughout the event. I mean, just mercy ruling everybody. And then had another easy one yesterday. Uh, looks like you guys put together good hitting and good pitching, and it all just was a winning recipe. Oh, listen, no doubt. I mean, in the 17-year-old division, I, I felt like our guys, uh, you know, all our guys are varsity high school starters. And, uh, you know, I would say some of the teams we played this weekend was a combination of JV and varsity players. And when we faced the JV pitcher, I mean, the guys basically, you know, they just destroyed the baseball. And with the 18s, um, just as dominant, uh, talk about the way those kids played and, and talk about the, their path to the championship. You know, I thought on the 18s, we had a little stiffer competition, but I thought our pitching was, I mean, just excellent. We started off with uh, Zach Tone play, getting the win in the first game from Edie White. And then we come back with Josh Shelley from Vanderbilt Catholic, which, uh, I mean, he was he was pretty much unbelievable. And then Brennan Hamner from Vanderbilt Catholic finished it up. And, uh, I mean, we had some some really timely hitting. Uh, David Lerett from South Terrebonne had a great weekend. Parker Cadu from E.D. White just steady all weekend. Nick Brunet from South Terrebonne just, you know, kind of steady along the way. A couple of really big hits, hits by Braden Walters. Uh, for the most part, listen, uh, really solid defense, you know, by, by Caleb Wilson. Uh, I think, you know, our guys just played well. I mean, it was just kind of a combination of everything. So uh, the kids, uh, you know, hats off to, you know, to the local high school coaches for having these guys, you know, in baseball shape. And, I mean, you know, these kids did everything. It's pretty lucky when, you know, you get to get to coach a, a talented bunch like this. And uh, you kind of basically just sit back, write the lineup, and, and manage the team because uh, these guys are doing it. We have some really good players. This isn't every summer thing for you guys, but this is also a summer that's unlike any other with all the restrictions and all the different things that you guys had to do to try to stay safe. Talk to us about the, you know, the challenges of, you know, hey, making sure that you guys are playing well, but also making sure that you guys are safe and doing the right things. You know, I, I think, look, it's been a challenge all over, just in the community, not just in baseball. Uh, I think we've had to make some lifestyle changes uh, for the most part as parents and players. Uh, you know, just, you know, basically you, you got to be safe before you do anything else. And the kids are doing what they need to do. You know, at pl certain places, we got to wear a mask and do what you have to do. And we haven't had any trouble, you know, or, you know, anybody really complaining about it. I mean, we're just happy to be playing. So whatever the rules are, we're going to follow them. 
um, the the hunger and the the motivation, as you said, with all of these guys or most of these guys either having a college season or a high school season postponed or you know canceled or whatever it may be, um, to to have those guys back on the ball field doing the things that they love to do, I'm sure that as a coach it felt good to kind of have that sense of normal here for the last couple of months. Oh, listen, no doubt. I mean, you know, you kind of get back in the rhythm. I, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, hats off to my coaches' staff, Coach Tristan Rogers, Coach Cody Dupran, Coach Bo Freeman, you know, Coach uh, Nolan Brunet. We've been able to do – we've actually been able to practice a little bit. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a sense of normalcy. And, uh, you know, once guys – you know, I think baseball is basically a breaded game where the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, and once – we took a, you know, we started taking BP and got everything back to normal. Some guys really got in the groove swinging the bat well. I knew the pitching would come, but, uh, you know, after, you know, a couple of weeks of, you know, of good practice and not just playing, uh, the bats have been really heating up and I'm pretty excited about it. Coach, one thing that we talk all the time about is how much the sport has grown in this area. And, and I'll go back just to when the, the, the cancellation of the high school season had taken place. You guys were in contention. South Terrebonne, South Lafouche, you know, Thibodeau, and I'm leaving out teams. Vanderbilt had a good club. EDY had a good club. Everybody was good is what I'm getting at. Um, and you've seen, uh, you know, you've been at this a long time. You've seen that growth firsthand. Talk about how much the sport has really kind of taken off here locally in the last decade or so. Well, I tell you, I, I really, look, I, I think it all comes back to the, lo- the local travel ball teams we have in this area, the Farm System Academy, Louisiana Baseball Academy, Wahoo Baseball, South Louisiana Select. These kids are really trained up before they get to high school. And I think they, their mentality is on a high school level by the time they get here. So when we get these kids, you know, as freshmen, uh, mentality-wise, these guys are used to playing very competitive baseball. So I think it's just made, you know, hats off to all the academies here and all the coaches that coach these academies. It's just made high school baseball just so much more talented. And in terms of, you know, school ball, what are some of the things you're hearing? I know i got a lot of panicked coaches that are messaging me and, and calling me as they're seeing some of these guidelines and they're not as hopeful. And I know Terrebonne Parish Public Schools have canceled their school sport workouts and are you getting concerned, man? I mean, it looks like it's going to be another kind of rough and, and rocky uh, semester coming up ahead. I'm definitely concerned. Uh, I mean, you know, for the players, but I really believe uh, LHSA is going to find a way to make it work. Listen, now, listen, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see baseball played, high school baseball played in the fall. Very good. You know, I mean, I could see, I could definitely see that happening. You know, maybe switching spots with football. They just flip flop. I mean, you know, when you get into these phases and playing baseball now, so I don't see why on the LHSAA we couldn't play baseball when we go back to school. Very good. And I want to, you know, we we hear um, all the time about the Hogs and, and some of the things you guys are doing. And take us back to the earliest days, Coach. I know this is something that's been going on a long time. Where did it all start? And, and you know, talk us through kind of the lineage, so to speak. The, the early days, uh, I mean, I'm 50 years old now. When I was 16 years old, we started playing American Legion baseball. And uh, basically, you know, we played Legion ball. We played Dixie ball. We played Dizzy Dean. We played basically anything we could play and get the most amount of games in. Uh, we always had one team. You know, it was more of the 18-year-old team. But as all these academies are coming up and all of these high school programs are coming up, we've been able to add a few more teams. I mean, we're very fortunate in this area that, you know, we have uh, 
Coach Shane Trosclair at Thibodeau High played on this team. Coach Mike Barber at South Terrebonne played on this team. Coach Corey Sullivan at HL Bourgeois played on this team. Coach Stephen Martinez at Homer Christian played on this team. So when you got a bunch of local coaches who played in the organization, they understand what it's about. And, I mean, basically, they really, you know, I would say, you know, really encourage their players to play in our organization. And if it wouldn't be for the the help we have with the local high school coaches, I don't think this would be possible. So it's been able to grow year after year. And the more we do it, you know, the more guys give back, the ex-players give back. And they really, uh, you know, ex-players and former players really give back to the organization, whether they're helping as assistant coaches or they're in the high school section. I mean, it all comes back is, I mean, most of the guys that played on this hadn't forgot and they really give back. And I think that's what has helped the organization grow. That was the next question I was going to ask you is that, man, if, if we talk to a former player or, you know, someone who's been a part of the organization, they take such great pride in, in being part of that family. And you guys have literally that. It's 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 a, you know, Southland Hogs family of, of current players, former players, you know, alumni, whatever it may be. Just talk about that that spirit and that pride that you guys have built because, man, it's an awesome thing to see. Well, you know, listen, this weekend, prime example, uh, we, you know, we're playing in Monroe. Uh, two former players, uh, Brandon Belanger, who's an assistant coach at the University of Louisiana Monroe. He came out, you know, to see me and the team. Kenny Hollenbeck, another Vanderbilt Catholic star, ULM Hall of Famer, you know, major league pitcher. Both of those guys are in their 40s, and they came back to support the team. And and, and listen, that, that's, that's a big deal. Zachary LaBeouf, a former player. I probably had uh, 10 to 20 phone calls on the way to the game on Friday wishing us good luck. And uh, I think, you know, the biggest deal with social media, which has really helped us on the Facebook pages, it lets all of the former players keep up with what's going on with the current guys. And uh, all of the former guys really want to see the current guys do well. I mean, I think it's, a, it's an honor and everyone involved, you know, feels really excited when we get, you know, one of our guys that have a chance to play at the next level. I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to put you on the spot a little bit. Who's the hardest hitter that you've ever had to try to get out with one of your teams? Oh, hardest hitter that I ever had to try to get out on one of my teams. Uh, I got three. Okay. Three, because I, I can't say one. Uh, Gavin Dugas. Evan Mistich. Zachary LaBeouf. Those are three pretty good ones. <laughs> yeah, not not too bad, you know. Uh, so you you know I can tell you this, uh, you know, and if you would ask me the question, who's the hardest guy that we ever faced, you know, pitching wise that we pitched against? I mean, man, we have we just had so many talented and good players. It's just it's hard, to, you know, it's hard to pick on, you know. And I just kind of made, you know, I told the three right there if the game was on the line. You know, you definitely like one of those guys hitting, if you know what I'm saying. No doubt about it. Now, one of the things that I commend you for is is whether it's a Covenant Christian player, whether it's a Central Lafouche player, whether it's an Ellender player, whatever it may be, if there's someone locally who needs an opportunity at the next level, who's struggling to find an offer, you're always willing to help them out. And you've got great connections and you've got, you know, tons of connections to coaches at the next level. Talk about that passion for you know, hey, you love the sport, but you also love to see guys reach their highest level within the sport. And I think that's a great thing, Coach. Well, well I think the biggest thing that, that, that I still take pride in, listen, when I coached at HL Bourgeois, I was involved, 
in the public school system. I understand it for the public school kid. Now that I'm the coach at CCA, somebody still got to look out for our public school players. And it doesn't really matter where you go to school. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to win games as a coach, but we want to help these kids. We want these guys to grow into, you know, quality young men, you know, good parents, good daddies. And I think what happens is, you know, if you give a guy an opportunity, because there's kids that just need opportunities and there's a lot of places that need players. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can find a way for guys to go to programs where they can play and excel. And, uh, I mean, it's just good for the area. I mean, it's nothing, uh, you know, I, I just want to give every kid a chance, an opportunity, because when I was a player, they didn't have a guy out here in an organization like we had. So I think we have enough connections as an organization that we can help these kids. Uh, you know, David Angeron does a good time with uh, My Time Sports. It's kind of a local recruiting coordinating uh, for college baseball. And uh, I think he helps us play some of our players. And, uh, you know, uh, Coach Tristan Rogers, he, he, he's an associate scout with it who coaches with me with the Hogs and basically at Covenant Christian. And I think it, uh, it it just opens up some doors for some players because I think we have a reputation of if, you know, if we give you an honest opinion on a player, we're not going to tell you a guy throws 90 miles an hour if he throws 81. We're going to tell you he throws 81 and look, he's a bulldog. I mean, he acts like he throws 90, but he throws 81, but he can go to your school and pitch and compete and help your college program win. So I think our reputation has kind of spoken for itself. I think we, we you know, I, I don't think we, we selling these college coaches, you know, nothing that's not true. And I think that has helped us in the future because, you know, we got some good references out there and it helps all these kids. I mean, it doesn't really matter where you go to school. And I, I mean, you know, there's nothing better than watching a kid give max effort. And, and look, that's what I think helps the Hogs organization because it's pretty fun to get to coach guys that you play against for four years and you get to have them on your side. It, it really makes it fun. And I think it's vice versa where, you know, the coach really gets to see what the player is and then the player at another school really gets to see what the coach is. So, uh, you know, I think everything works hand in hand. No doubt about it. And and in terms of what's next for the, the, the summer group here, I know you guys have advanced now towards a, another tournament out in the state of Alabama. When is that? Where is that? Give us the rundown of what's next for you guys. Next for our guys, our 15-year-old group is uh, playing this weekend in Lafayette. This will be their last tournament, the last weekend of the tournament. Our 16-year-old group will play July 24th weekend. That'll be their last weekend at LSU Eunice. And then our 17s will be in Gunnersville, Alabama at the Dixie World Series. And then the 18s will be at Ozark, Alabama at the Dixie Majors World Series. And that'll finish us out. So, I mean, you know, by August 1st, we pretty much finished for the year. So our football guys can get back on football and, you know, it'll, it'll give our baseball guys a little bit of a break, you know, before we start again. Very good. And, and um, I'm going to ask you something about Major League Baseball, man. Opening day is about a week or so away. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. I don't know how it's going to go. Uh, I know you're a big baseball fan in general. Are you excited to watch the pros get back to action? Man, I can't wait. Listen, I, I mean, I, I really I'm, – I'm a big Major League Baseball fan because I feel like most guys on TV look so talented, but they had to work so hard to get there. So, I, I mean – you know, to watch those guys, those guys make it look so easy. I mean, it's far from it. And I think that, uh, you know, we'd be pretty fortunate in the Hogs organization. We got a guy who pitches in the big leagues. And I feel like, uh, you know, I'm excited to get, you know, to get out there and, and watch him play. I mean, it'll be funny to see how these guys react with nobody in the stands, but they're professionals. And, uh, 
I think they they playing for something. There's a contract on the line for these guys. This is some free agent year, so I think you're going to get max effort out of some guys. Some guys might do better than others, and uh, you know, I mean, I can't wait to see it start. I love it. I got MLB Network on TV, and uh, I, you know, I pretty much watch a couple of games every night. As a coach, if if you're told, okay, your 162 game season is now a 60 game season. I mean, every game now matters three times as much as it used to. Talk about how you would be trying to motivate your players because, hey, look, you know, in in a 162-game season, a five- or six-game losing streak is not a big deal. In a 60-game season, boy, that's a huge deal. Talk about, you know, just that that added well, urgency and how you would handle that as a coach. I, I feel the urgency is you got to basically treat every game like a playoff game. And, uh, you know, I would say, especially on the pitching side of it, when I say the pitching side of it, if your guy gets in any trouble at that level, I figure those guys will go straight to the bullpen instead of try to let him work through it. In 162 games, you can have some hiccups. In a 60-game season, I figure those guys will be playing like they're playing in the playoffs. And I mean, you'll probably see, in my personal opinion, you'll see by the time that the hitters get the third time through the order, they'll see a different pitcher. And if they go four times through the order, they'll probably see a different arm by then. So I wouldn't be surprised every game you see at least three pitchers. I don't think you'll be seeing a, a lot of shutouts. I'll see, I think you'll be seeing one, two, maybe three arms a game. And the matchups are going to be so important. I mean, if you've got a left-handed guy off the bench who can hit, if he comes in the game, they're going to put in a left-handed pitcher. I think matchups are way more important. And uh, they're going to play the percentages, you know, because every game counts. Now, along this, those same lines, the new rule saying that a bullpen pitcher has to face three hitters. Uh, I mean, that's going to change things up quite a bit, don't you think? I think it, 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 it I, I personally really like it because I think it, uh, it makes a left-handed guy who's a left-handed specialist learn how to get right-handers out or right-handers learn how to get left-handers out. I think it's better for the game. I honestly do. I think there's not enough offense in baseball anyway. Uh, you know, that's why some people think it's boring. And I think this favors the offense. The DH rule definitely favors the offense. And I think, you know, leaving the pitcher in for three batters favors the offense. So uh, I think this season is going to be exciting. I think you'll see more guys stealing bases. You might even see a little bit more bunning. I don't think it's going to be as much base-to-base and as much vanilla as it's been in the past. I think guys are going to get after it a little bit more. Last question before we let you go. I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about your CCA team coming up. I know you guys were on a good path before the stoppage. What are some of the things you guys got coming back that you're excited about? Pretty excited at Covenant Christian. We, uh, we, we, we're going to be strong on the mound. I mean, listen to Connor Mathern, Ross John, Carter Fob, uh, Caleb Bajron. I mean, I feel good. I mean, pretty much, you know, most of my guys are placed right now. They're playing summer baseball. If not in my organization, Team Louisiana, we have some guys playing all over. So uh, Covenant, Covenant Christian is going to be, uh, I think we have a really good shot at making another run because, I mean, we're going to pitch well. And I think if you pitch well in 1A baseball, you know, it can take you a long way. I mean, hopefully, you know, in the playoffs, we go back to the three-game series because that really helps us. I think in a one-game series, one pitcher can carry you through the way. And in a three-game series, uh, you know, I'll take my chances with my team over anybody's team, you know, not just in a one-game playoff, but in a three-game series because I feel like our team, you know, is set up for a three-game series. Sounds like a winner. Well, look, Coach, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on the successes so far this summer and hope you guys have a good job, uh, good ride the rest of the way. Good. Thanks, Case. I appreciate you putting Southland Hogs baseball, buddy. Absolutely, brother. That is Coach Joe Tuton with Covenant Christian Academy and the Southland Hogs doing a great job as always. 
Let's catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, plenty of things going on in the world of sports. We're going to talk Tiger Woods returning to the PGA Tour, uh, make some predictions for the MLB season. Uh, Terrebonne Parish just closed their school sports activities. Um, lots going on, and we're going to also take some questions and answers from you guys at home. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFouchegazette.com. We'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in Lafouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the Lafouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the Lafouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in Lafouche Parish that people are talking about. We're going to be talking about it, and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it, 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. We want to thank Coach Joe Couton for the time. We want to thank Mr. Joseph Ogeron for his time. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Now we move into our sports segment, which is going to be um, loaded full. There's actually a lot of things to talk about today. Um, one of the things at the top of the list that everyone is worried about and everybody's concerned about and messaging me about is the LHSAA releasing their guidelines or their, their proposed plan for how to reopen athletics to Bessie. Um, and it ain't pretty. It is not pretty. Uh, high school sports do not look very likely in 2020-2021. Uh, given the current data that we're seeing, um, given the current situation, it just doesn't look good. Uh, I wish I could sugarcoat that. I wish I could say that in a more positive tone or in a better way, but it just doesn't look good. Um, in their proposed guidance, football games are not allowed until phase four four of reopening which is basically everything being wide open no restrictions um i see the data every day um you guys hear me recite the data every episode it just ain't happening like it's just not happening right now the idea that we will be in phase four nah it ain't happening hell the idea that we will be in phase three right now ain't happening it it Things are just not going in a healthy direction. Things are not going forward. They're going backward. And we're just flat out of time. Day late, dollar short. We're flat out of time. And when we started doing this show earlier in the spring, I issued a very clear warning to people of, hey, if we don't get this under control, we're going to lose out on the things that we love to do. Well, guess what? That didn't stop. Joe Schmo from, you know, going to the bar and, uh, you know, helping to spread this coronavirus. That didn't stop Joe Schmo from sharing on Facebook that, you know, wearing masks is unhealthy. That didn't stop Joe Schmo from claiming that these tests are rigged and all the stupidity that I see on my social media. So here we are. Joe Schmo, thanks a lot, brother. Um, Your ignorance and stupidity is going to help be a contributing cause to us not having, likely not having, some of the things that we enjoy in the fall. Um, I feel terrible for the children involved. I feel terrible for the coaches involved. 
and there's going to be a, a huge ripple effect. But, you know, there's still time, uh, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't look like high school sports are going to be anything remotely like what we're used to seeing them. And I think it's just a damn shame. Like, Louisiana is a place where uh, we're usually so good about helping one another. But you ask someone to put on a damn mask and they all of a sudden dwarf into Captain Ignorant and refuse to do anything because, oh, bro, you taking my rights away. Not, I'm not going to. I did this in the first segment of the show when we were talking about COVID. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to get off track. I'm not going to get derailed by a uh, Facebook guy. But it looks like high school sports are going to be in a very dark place um, where not a whole lot, if anything, is going to be going on. Terrebonne Parish has canceled their workouts um, for universally. Every sport, everything going on. Uh, it's been a bit of a mess there. Their COVID cases have been through the roof in recent days. Uh, one of the hotter spots in the entire state of Louisiana. Um, given the demographic there, I've worked there for 10 years. Given the type of people there, I am not surprised to hear of a lack of cooperation. I'm not surprised to hear of issues. And given the fact that their cases were only lower at the beginning of the pandemic because they simply weren't testing, um, now they're kind of paying the piper and seeing their numbers rise now that they're kind of getting back into the 21st century, so to speak. Um, but, you know, sending well wishes to our friends there in Terrebonne. Hopefully they're able to get back at it. Lafouche Parish is still working out for now. For the time being, by the time this episode is, is in your phone, it may have already changed because... These, t- these types of things are usually monkey see, monkey do. Um, these types of things usually spread around amongst other school systems and amongst other areas. But for now, it is just in Terrebonne. And um, high school sports are hanging on by a thread. They are on the thinnest of thin ice right now. Makes me sad, man. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And, and to know that we had this thing licked and you guys just... And I say you guys. I'm speaking to 5% of the morons in the in the country we couldn't fight it off because we're just too damn selfish as a, as a whole to do the things that we're being instructed to do because our natural fallback instinct is to think that doctors are lying to us because yeah that that's what they do yeah that, that's that's wise logic but anyway uh something more positive the mlb is reopening their season opening day is about a week or so away um i cannot wait for major league baseball i know that this is I'm going to maybe bore some people. I'm a big MLB fan. I, I can't wait to, to play some Major League Baseball. And in spirit of opening day, I'm going to look to do something that uh, I usually do in print, but now I'm going to do it in a different format. I'm going to give five predictions for the MLB season. I'm going to give my division champions in each division, and uh, we're going to pick our playoff teams and all that. Guys, I'm usually a train wreck at this, um, so don't expect very much success. Um, But I'm going to give you my picks and my predictions, and we'll see how it goes throughout the course of the uh, 60-game schedule, which begins next week. So let's go. My uh, Casey's Corner official five predictions for the MLB season. Prediction number one, I think offense is going to surge in 2020. I think that um, if you look at the sport and the way that the sport is structured, um, it is just so much easier to hit and to stay fit as a hitter um, during a quarantine than it is to stay fit as a pitcher during a quarantine. Like you could hit indoors, you could hit in a cage, you could, you know, 
weight lift and, and stay conditioned and do all the things that a hitter must do during a pandemic. Whereas a pitcher, stop and go for an arm is very difficult. I think we're going to see a lot of pitching changes. I don't think we're going to see a lot of six, seven, eight, you know, inning performance performances from starters. I think we're going to see a lot of four and five inning starts, a lot of rockiness. I think that when you add the designated hitter to both leagues, that'll naturally make offense be better to begin with. Um, and and I think that by cutting out the late March and early April um, part of the season where uh, the weather is cooler um, and the ball doesn't travel as far and starting in the, in the dead-ass beginning of summer, I think it's going to uh, make offense much more prevalent. I think runs are going to go up. Uh, whether the baseball is juiced or not. I know last year the baseball was juiced and it caused a bunch of home runs. I think this year, even if the baseball is more watered down back to its original form, we're going to see more doubles, more base hits, more offense, and I don't think it's going to be a good year for the pitchers. So give me a bunch of offense in the 2020 season. Number two, uh, this is going to sound like blasphemy to a lot of people. Um, I think the Boston Red Sox are going to be a train wreck in this uh, in this 60-game season. Um for my baseball fans out there, can you guys name me any starting pitcher right now on the Boston Red Sox team? Like any of them, like any one starting pitcher. Their starting rotation right now is Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Avaldi, Martin Perez, Ryan Weber, and Brian Johnson. Um, that's not very good. Um, now, they should be able to score some runs. Uh, got a bunch of guys on offense. Uh, but guess who else could score runs? Everybody else in that division. you got to be able to get people out. The Red Sox pitching is a mess. Uh, they didn't have a great offseason. You know, had to lose uh, you know, Mookie Betts and, and you know, a lot of their, their key guys in the offseason. They've been kind of cost-cutting, paying the piper after, um, you know, so many seasons of spending and overspending. They're kind of paying for that now. I don't think they have nearly enough arms. I don't think that they have enough offensive talent to – support the the deficit that their pitching is going to be i think the red sox are not a threat in the al east and i think that they're going to finish way behind whoever the eventual champion is going to be if you're a red sox fan heck i'm kind of sort of one myself i apologize for that but it is what it is i guess prediction number three for the mlb season the upcoming mlb season is i think we are at a point in time in Major League Baseball where we will never see pitchers hit again in MLB. I think that fans are going to enjoy having the designated hitter in both leagues, and I think that this is something that players have been pushing for for a long time, um, because if there are you know uh, double the amount of designated hitter spots available in, in baseball, then that is double the amount of big contracts that are going to go to sluggers. So it's very pro um, hitter is very pro contract. It's very pro player. You know, pitchers are not getting paid big contracts to because they're good bunters, but sluggers who don't necessarily field well could extend their career and can extend their earning potential. If there is a designated hitter in the national league, I think fans are going to like it. I think players are going to like it. Me personally, I, I don't like it. I, I, I like to see the hitters hit because I think that it, it, it rewards teams who have a good manager. Um, to know, to have that feel for, you know, hey, this is how we're going to handle this. We're going to handle our pitching staff this way. I like when the pitchers have to hit because I think that it, it makes managers and, and coaches that much more important. 
but I, I understand the you know the OCD ADHD culture in which we live where if the score is not 12 to 10 we're bored um so with that being said I think that that fans are going to enjoy the the designated hitter in both leagues and I don't think we're ever going to see it go away from that number four this is one that I think is going to maybe be surprising to some people uh, number four is I don't think the Astros are going to pay the piper for their their cheating sins at all a- at all like I don't think that there are going to be any issues surrounding the Astros at all. Like they may get beamed once or twice, just kind of a brush back. But I don't think that this is like whenever it was a 162 game season, I was kind of thinking like, oh my God, Altuve is going to get crushed. Like Bregman's going to get crushed. Um, but now uh, a, a 60 game season, here's what happens. Like the MLB is going to be very, um, very, willing to fine and suspend the people who are doing this to the Astros. They don't want to cause a circus. They don't want to, you know, cause fights and different things of that sort. A, because it's bad for the sport. B, it increases contact amongst players, which is not good at this time to begin with. Um, So I think that, you know, with a 162-game season, you could afford to have guys be suspended for seven games here or there because you have so many more games, you know, down, down the line. It's not as bad. In a 60-game season, much like Coach Joe said earlier in the show, um, you simply can't afford to lose your key guys for a large piece of the season. So I think that because of that, the Astros are going to skate. I think they're going to get a pass. Now, in 2021, if things grow back to 162 games, will they have to pay for it then? Yeah, probably so. But I, I just don't see teams sacrificing their starting pitchers or you know their top relief pitchers or or, you know, now maybe if it becomes 12 to 1 in a game and, you know, you know teams are playing, you know, their, their number six relief pitcher, maybe things get out of hand. But I don't think the teams are going to use vital real estate to make the Astros pay. There's just not enough games in the schedule to to sacrifice them in terms of making a point and trying to punish a, a, a team who may or may not have done something several years ago. I, I just don't see it. I know it's something that fans like to talk about and fans are looking forward to because, you know, as a society, we like to see drama and we like to see different things happen. I just don't see it. I don't think it's going to happen. Number five, I think that the National League Central is going to be the best division in baseball this coming season. I look up and down the National League Central and I see nothing but good clubs. I think the Chicago Cubs are going to be a solid club. I think the Cincinnati Reds are one of my sleeper clubs. Uh you you add Trevor Bauer and you know now they they add uh, you know they have Mustakas and uh, they've got good offense. You know, I think that the, the the Reds are a sleeper club, um, and I you know obviously you look up and down the list. Uh, the Pirates are going to be okay. Yeah, they're going to be the Pirates. They're going to be you know hovering around five hundred, maybe slightly below. The Cardinals are going to be solid. They always are. We talked about the Cubs. Um, I think that division is the the, the Brewers. They're loaded. The Brewers had the most interesting season maybe of any team that I have ever seen last year. The Brewers at one time had just everybody hurt. Like if you would have taken their designated, uh, their, or excuse me, their disabled list roster and paired it side by side against their active roster, their disabled list roster would have been far more impressive, far more intimidating, but yet somehow, some way they continued to win. Um, you know, kudos to coach council and, you know, the guys out there, they just did a phenomenal job. Now, they got everybody back healthy. 
I think adding a DH is going to make Ryan Braun so much better. He had become kind of an albatross in the field. Now you could only use his offensive stick. It's going to make him so much better. I think the Brewers and the NL Central are going to be absolutely loaded. I could see and make a point for every one of those clubs having a successful season. Those are our five MLB predictions. We're going offense in 2020. We're going anti-Red Sox in 2020. We don't think that the pitchers will ever hit again. We think the DH is here to stay. We don't think the Astros are going to have to pay the piper for their cheating scandal. And we think the NL Central is loaded. So now with that having been said, we're going to pick our division winners and our playoff teams for MLB. And then we'll move on and talk about some other things. We've got our betting blitz and Q&A and some different things of that sort. So our picks for the MLB, we've got AL East. I'm going New York Yankees. I, I, it pains me to even say that because I'm not a big Yankee guy. Just sheer strength in numbers, man. I mean, they were good last year. Now you add Garrett Cole to that. Um, you add a full season of James Paxton. Um, they're just they're loaded. They're loaded. I understand Aroldis Chapman has, you know, COVID and may miss the the opener. Um, but they've got so many other bullpen arms, Zach Britton and you know Chad Green and Adam Atanavo. You know, um, they've got so many other arms. They're going to be loaded. Uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. They're going to be a team that's going to be in contention, not just for their division championship, but in contention for the World Series championship as well. So we move to the AL Central, and in the AL Central, I'm going Minnesota Twins. Uh, I'm going Minnesota Twins because they have my man crush, Josh Donaldson, on their team, who I desperately wanted the the Atlanta Braves to re-sign. They've got too much offense, and in a season that I think is going to be defined by offense, I think that they're going to be awfully difficult to beat. So give me the Twins in the Central. In the West, um, I'm going Astros, man. Until somebody proves that they could beat those guys, I've got to go Astros. Now, I, I think that you know some of the pressure is going to be on those guys because, hey, they've, they've got to perform now. You know, the secret's out. And if the Astros just come out and lay you know, a, a big stinker out there, um, then, you know, it's going to look really bad and people are going to be saying, you know, hey, they were only ever winning because of the cheating and all the different things. But they're too talented, man. The Astros are going to win the West. Uh, just look at this offense. I mean, Maldonado at catcher, Guriel at first base, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Brantley, Springer, Reddick, Alvarez. Like They're top to bottom. They're loaded. Pitching staff-wise, they're a little bit weaker uh, losing Garrett Cole. But they're still loaded. Their bullpen is very good. Give me Astros in the West. My playoff wild card teams in the American League, give me the Indians. And then a sleeper team. This is not going to be one that you guys are going to be expecting me to say. I'm going to go Los Angeles Angels for the second wild card because I, I just think that I just think Anthony Rendon's a winner, man. And if you have a full season of Otani in the lineup with Rendon, with Upton, with trout and you know you got Anderton Simmons at the top of the lineup getting on base and whatever Albert Pujols has left I don't know if it's anything at all but whatever he might have left um, I think the Angels are going to score a bunch and I think that they're in a position now with Otani pitching again the add uh, Julio Tehran to the back end of that rotation they have better depth in the back of their rotation I think the Angels are going to be in a position to win a bunch of games uh, sparked by their offense. So I, it's a surprise pick, but I'm going to go with the Angels. I'm going to roll the dice. National League, National League East. I'm going to go with my beloved Atlanta Braves. I think that they're going to have a tough ride, um, but I think that the Braves just have enough arms 
to get by. The, the Braves' bullpen is, is freaking loaded. Like, it is freaking loaded. And in a season where um, starting pitchers may not be able to go as long, when you could roll out Mark Melanson, Will Smith, Shane Green, Chris Martin, Darren O'Day, Luke Jackson, that are that's six guys who have had successful experience as closers. Like when you have four or five guys who could close games um, like they do, that is, that's ridiculous. Now, there are question marks about whether or not Freddie Freeman is going to be available for opening day. Nick Markakis has opted out of, of playing this, this season because of the COVID situation. Um, those things hurt. Um, but I just think that they're, they're going to be able to shorten the length of games so much that it's going to give them a huge advantage. And they're already pretty good on the starting mound. You know, you got Mike Soroka, Max Freed. Whatever you get out of Cole Hamels, I don't know because he's been kind of beat up. Mike fulton Evans, Sean Newcomb, you know, they got starting pitchers. They got tons of prospects down in the form that are waiting to come up. But I'm going to pick Atlanta, and and this is because I, I, I just think their bullpen is too good. I think that they're going to have the ability to win a ton of close games. And in a short season, winning close games, I think is going to be a huge advantage and a huge plus. In the Central, for all the reasons that I said a minute ago, I'm going with the Brewers. I just don't think it's possible for a team to have the injuries that the Brewers had last season twice. I think that they're going to be healthier. I think they're going to have a better ride. Um, but I don't think they're going to have a great record um, because they're going to be facing the AL Central, which is loaded, and they're going to be facing the NL Central, which is loaded. That division, to me, is going to be one where in the 60 games, if you could win 33, 34 games, you're going to be in great shape. So I think the Brewers are going to outlast the competition, uh, but I think the competition is going to be fierce. Uh, I think that it's going to be fierce. There's no doubt about that. In the West, I mean, let's be real here. There, there's only one uh, easy pick. I mean, the West is going to be the Dodgers. Um, they're loaded. They've got so many guys. You add Mookie Betts to that offense. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Justin Turner, Max Muncie, uh, pitching staff with Kershaw and you know, you, what are they going to get out of Dustin May? Can he take that next step? You got Walker Bueller, um, Kenley Jansen on the back end of the bullpen. The Dodgers are loaded. Um, that division's pretty good. Arizona's pretty good. Um, Colorado's always a wild card. The Giants should maybe be a little bit better. The Padres spend a lot, but just kind of spending their tires. Give me the Dodgers. I think that it's going to be kind of a runaway. I think they're kind of the safest bet of the bunch. Um but curious to see, I guess, how Manny Machado and those guys over in San Diego could maybe try to wrap things together. But I, they, they just don't have enough. They just don't have enough. And, and I think the Dodgers are going to have a very easy ride. National League wild cards, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, the Phillies had a pretty good offseason. Um, they are continuing to add to their team. You know, you add Zach Wheeler to your team. Uh, that's going to be a big plus. Uh, you know, their offense is very good. Jay Bruce will be a, a valuable designated hitter piece. Uh, D.D. Gregorius was a good addition. Uh, you got Bryce Harper. You know, you got all the guys that, that we all know that they have. So give me the Phillies as one wild card. And as your second wild card, give me the St. Louis Cardinals. I think the St. Louis Cardinals, as I hear the celebration being uh, levied from my buddy Jonah, who's a regular listener, the Cardinals have good arms on the mound, good depth. They have a pretty good bullpen, pretty solid bullpen. Um, offensively, you can't get much less out of 
some of your star players and what they got last year. They're going to get a little bit more consistency out of Dexter Fowler. He's going to become, I think, a better weapon for them. Uh, Goldschmidt is solid. Matt Carpenter will be a perfect DH. Uh, so I think the Cardinals are going to secure that second wild card, and I think that that's where we're going to go with the MLB, with Braves, Brewers, Dodgers, Phillies, and Cardinals in the NL, Yankees, Twins, Astros, Indians, and Angels in the AL, and we'll see how the chips fall from there. Uh, a couple of things, and then we're going to move on to our uh, Q&A because we do have questions from you guys. Um, just so interesting, uh, the the uh, lack of consistency in, in reporting uh, news stories about certain topics. And I'm going to try not to get overly heated about this. I know you guys like when I get upset, but I'm going to try to be open-minded and as objective as I possibly can about this. Um, but when Drew Brees made his comments about the American flag um, and how he thought, you know, kneeling for the national anthem was disrespectful to the flag, he got crucified for those comments. Um, every single personality, every athlete, hell, his own teammates were crucifying him for those comments. Um, on this show, I, I said, hey, look, I think Drew misspoke. I, I think that he shouldn't have used the word disrespect. Um, but he also has a right to his own opinion. Um, and I am all for social equality. I'm all for social justice for all. I'm all for every single human being who is conceived and brought into this world having the same opportunities as every other human being conceived and brought into this world. But if we're going to become a culture that um, shames people of differing opinions uh, that don't align with that, then we've got to be a culture that shames all people who go against the grain and not just people who go against the grain of certain topics. The lack of outrage for what Deshaun Jackson said in his anti-Jewish rant in recent weeks is absolutely positively deplorable. No one is calling him out. Where's LeBron James? Where's Mike Thomas? Mike Thomas claims to be a social justice expert, um, or social injustice expert, rather. Where's Mike Thomas? Uh, where's the Twitter commentary from Cam Jordan? You know, when it's your own teammate calling somebody out, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's outrage. But whenever it's somebody outside of the building saying something, by the way, which is far worse than what Drew Brees said, uh, far worse. You know, when you're quoting something that Adolf freaking Hitler said, um, th that's enough of a red flag or enough of a warning right there to where you should probably stop before making those comments. Deshaun Jackson is, is a moron. He is the same guy who, when he was in high school, jumped in the high school All-America game from the 10-yard line to try to dive into the end zone, fell short of the end zone, dropped the football, and fumbled at the 2-yard line. So that shows you the mental capacity of Deshaun Jackson to begin with, much less now we see his, his ignorance towards the things that are going on in the world. Deshaun Jackson, you are a moron. Why are you saying these things? Why are you... Um, believing these things and and more importantly why are you publicizing your thoughts about these things oh well maybe it's because he knows there are not repercussions he has been given a complete pass he has not been uh handled nearly uh the same way as other people who have said different things about different topics have been he's been treated with kid gloves and i think it's a shame and a sham and i think that if we want to be the the uh, the equality police at all times, then that better go always, and that better not just be towards certain segments. That better be for you know all hatred and not just hatred to towards certain segments. Um, 
LeBron James so free and and so easy to tweet free Woj after after Woj ignorantly typed bleep off to a United States senator, an act that quite frankly should have gotten him fired from ESPN, um, but yet still has not addressed the idea of justice for the people of Hong Kong. Because LeBron James is a hypocrite. He's a fake. He's a phony. He has always been a fake and a phony who is about lacing his wallet and nothing else. He tells you he's about this, this, and this, but he's only about certain things when certain cameras are rolling and when certain people are looking. He is a grade A phony. Free woes. That is that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I, it's mind-boggling to me how one-sided this has become. And it's it's not healthy. It's not right. And and we've got to get to a position to where if we're going to show love towards people, we've got to show love and, and create opportunities for anyone who's being uh, portrayed in an unfair light or anyone who's being suppressed. And, and the fact that ESPN has done virtually nothing to uh, create the firestorm against Desha- Deshaun Jackson like they did against Drew Brees. Uh, the Jewish community should be very upset and hurt by that. And I think that all the American people should be very upset and very hurt by that because it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Anywho, we now move to our sports betting blitz. Um, gotta admit, our sports betting blitz isn't the same anymore. Like, remember, we were moving into a place where um, we were in a situation where we were picking professional uh, over underlines for the pros and over underlines for college football. Um, well, college football has has shifted the 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 uh, format of their season. Teams are, are canceling their non-conference games left and right. Uh, so we're not going to pick college for a while until we could get to a point uh, to where we're a little bit more steady. Until we could get to a point where we have a better idea of how these things are going to go down. Um, so. We're going to just do NFL, and then when college figures out what the hell they want to do, then we're going to kind of move back and adjust and and kind of involve them back into the process, so to speak. Um, But firing off right away over under the next two teams in our sports betting blitz, and then after sports betting blitz, we'll give you our PGA Tour picks. And then we have an Axe Casey Anything where we're going to talk about um, some of the things that are going on in the world of sports and some of the questions that you guys may have. All right, so up next, we're going in ABC order. We've got two more teams. We've got the Carolina Panthers. Las Vegas says over or under five and a half wins for the Carolina Panthers. Um, man, I here's the thing about the Carolina Panthers. Um, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is any good. I think that the only people who think Teddy Bridgewater is any good are people in the Bridgewater family, are people who are fans of the New Orleans Saints, and they only think Teddy Bridgewater is good because they like the fact that he dances in the locker room after games. Um, I watched him play for several games with Drew Brees out. I watched the Saints win a lot of games, 13-10 to 10 and 17-9 to 9 and whatever it may be. I watched the Saints win a lot of those games because of turnovers from the defense and special teams, long returns, fluky plays, block punts. Everything that could have went their way did go their way. I don't, and, and not to mention, he's in an offense with Alvin Kamara, um, Mike Thomas, and all the weapons that the Saints have. Um, with Carolina, he has none of those things in place. He does have Christian McCaffrey, obviously, which is a big plus, but they don't have very many weapons outside of that. They don't have a great defense, and they got to play a tough division. But with all of those things having been said, I'm going to go over five and a half for Carolina. 
because and only because I think that Matt Rule is a superstar. I think he was the best coach hired this offseason, including the coach that my beloved Cowboys hired. I think he was far and away the best coach hired this offseason. I think Carolina got a winner, and I think that in the NFL, just having a great coach matters a lot. Um, and I think that given the the fact that uh, you know they're going to have a new offense and, and some new wrinkles and the dude wanted Baylor. If Matt Rule could win games at Baylor, but let, let me even simplify it even further. You're looking at a coaching staff led by a head coach who wanted Baylor and an offensive coordinator who fixed an LSU offense that was so archaic that uh, fans thought it was mission impossible. Those are the two guys that are running your program out in Carolina. I think they're going to be okay. Now, with that having been said, I don't think they're going to have a winning season. I think they're going to be six and ten, seven and nine, kind of just they don't have they don't have enough talent to make the playoffs. But I think that they're going to win more than five and a half. Give me over for Carolina, uh, and I, I really think that they're going to uh, be a very exciting team to watch for the next couple of seasons because they've got a phenomenal coach in place. Chicago Bears are the next team in our sports betting blitz. So to be over or under. Eight and a half for Chicago. Um, I mean, this one is, is pretty easy to me. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll have an egg in my face. Maybe, you know, you guys will be able to throw tomatoes at me when this is all said and done. I think it's going to be under, and I think it's going to be pretty easily under. I don't see any way that Chicago has a winning season. Um, you look at their schedule. Uh, they, they are going to be playing a very tough NFC uh, schedule. Uh, their division is tough. Their NFC Central is tough. They got to play obviously six games uh, against the likes of the Vikings, Packers, and Lions. Um, you got to play against the Colts. That'll be difficult. Uh, they also are matched up with the Saints division, the NFC South, which is very difficult. Um, and and you don't have a quarterback. You don't have a quarterback. Uh, you know that's the elephant in the room. You're, you're starting either Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky, and both of those guys are awful. Um, so you don't have a quarterback. Congratulations, you signed Jimmy Graham. But this isn't 2011. Jimmy Graham is not going to do anything for you right now. Uh, so I think that it's under. I, I don't like the, the philosophy that the Bears have coaching-wise. Uh, even when Mitchell Trubisky was struggling, they would just kind of uh, expect him to throw his way out of it. I think they throw far too much. They don't rely on their running game nearly enough for the windy weather of Chicago. I think the Bears are going to be a bit of a mess. I don't think they're going to be anywhere near eight and a half wins. I think they're looking at five to six. So I'm pretty comfortably under. Uh, feel pretty good about where this is going to head. Um, so a rundown of what we're going to do next. This is going to be a longer than normal sports update. I apologize in advance. The PGA Tour, the Memorial is tomorrow, or excuse me, on Thursday, beginning Thursday. Uh, we're going to give our picks for that. We're going to give our sleeper, our shark, and our winner. Uh, we're going to take some questions um, from you guys, but then we're also going to make predictions about the WWE pay-per-view on Sunday. So I know that this update has already run 33-plus minutes. Uh, bear with us. We're going to run a little bit longer uh, as we've got a lot of content to chew on, and uh, that's certainly a good problem to have. So uh, let's see. We're going to go now to the Memorial, and oh, my God, I'm so excited. Tiger Woods is back in action. Uh, for the first time since the pandemic, he's going to be playing at a course that he's familiar with, at a place that he's won a million times before. I think he's going to be in, in good shape to have a good week, uh, in good shape to you know post a good, solid number 
uh, and, and really give himself a chance. So let's see. We've got the Memorial Tournament, which is going to be taking place this week on the PGA. And our shark for this week, which of course uh, we define as a name brand player who we think is going to be in contention and we think is going to be playing well and is going to be near the top of the leaderboard. How could you go against the number one player in the world? My shark is going to be Rory McIlroy. I think that he hits it too well. He hits it too far. And I think that Rory McIlroy is in a spot where he's going to be near or at the top of the leaderboard when, th- when this thing is all said and done. So give me Rory as my shark. Give me, uh, let's see. Give me Bubba Watson as my sleeper. Bubba Watson is 125 to 1 to win this week. And that's because the last time out for Bubba, he played terribly. Um, But Bubba's kind of a guy who, when the stakes are higher, he plays better. So I think with a loaded field, I think Bubba's going to to be in contention. And he's going to have an opportunity to to post a solid number. And I think he'll make the cut and, and be in the mix. And my champion for this week is going to be, uh, let's see who we're going to go with for our champion. Give me um, give me Dustin Johnson. I think that Dustin Johnson, who won a couple of weeks ago, has been, been playing solid. His shark game has gotten so much better. He's so long off the tee. So give me Dustin Johnson this week uh, to be your champion. Notice I didn't pick Tiger Woods for any of those things that we talked about. Um but I do think he's going to be in contention and much more about that because I know I have a question about, about him in our Q&A. So we move from our sports betting blitz to our Axe Casey Anything segment and then we'll wrap up with WWE predictions for the pay-per-view. I always like to end with wrestling because I know a lot of folks don't listen to the wrestling stuff. So instead of having to ask them to fast forward in between segments or whatever, I put it at the end. Just so we could tell them, hey, if you don't like wrestling, just simply don't listen. In the show here, we're good. Question number one, ask Casey anything. If you have a question for me, justclairecasey at gmail.com. Casey underscore justclare on Twitter. Find me on Facebook. However you need to get a hold of me, get a hold of me. Question number one, what do you expect from Tiger Woods this week? Well, I think he's going to make the cut. Um, I think he's going to... Uh, be in contention, but I think he's going to be in the outskirts of contention. Um, in the top 15, top 20 range, don't think he's going to be on the first page of the leaderboard, maybe the bottom page of the second uh, leaderboard. thing with Tiger, man, like he just he just doesn't play very much anymore. His, it's a matter of can he practice enough to stay healthy to play a bunch on tour. Um and, you know, that's the thing. Like, he could rest and recoup and, and be ready to play a couple of events. But if you play a couple of events cold with no practice, then you're going to be rusty and you're going to play like crap. And so can he find that winning mix of practice, preparation, and then also competition while keeping a fragile body healthy? I don't see it this week, but I do think he's going to play pretty well. He looked phenomenal at the at the match with Phil and Brady and Manning. If he could find any of that same magic, he's going to be firmly in the mix. But I think he's going to be, you know, kind of a top 20 player this week. Number two, you're always so negative towards AEW. What can they do, in your opinion, to be better? Great question. Um, AEW, what can they do to get better? Um, Don't have 17 tag matches every two-hour show. That would be a good start. Um, No one cares about tag team wrestling. Like, I, I hate to be so blunt about that, but simply no one cares about tag team wrestling. They just don't. 
Look at the, the other show. Look at WWE. Tag team wrestling is an afterthought. It's something that they do to lead off the show or to, to set up other angles. It's just something that people don't care about. The women's tag team champions um, are both the, the two best single individual wrestlers. So they have the tag team titles on them just to kind of promote their individual dominance. The male division, we've got Andrade and Garza there in a lot of the Raw tag team matches. And it's simply to tease their breakup. Like they use tag team matches to set up other things. Whereas AEW, every single match on the card is a tag team match. Wrestling that is going to entertain the masses today is going to be wrestling that is going to be storyline driven A for one, B for two, have pretty good action in the ring, solid action in the ring, and three, have interesting characters. Um, and, and it's going to be something that loosely looks like MMA or boxing because it's got to look, it can't be the old 1980s, 1990s, million dollar man, uh, you know, cheesy character type matches. It's got to be something that looks realistic, but yet still has just enough of that fake wrestling feel from the nineties to keep people's soap opera, you know, fix enthused. Um, MMA is one-on-one. Boxing is one-on-one. There are no tag team UFC matches. There are no tag team boxing matches. So this idea of, uh, you know, every one of those matches just kind of feels the same. You know, there are hot tags and the the fresh wrestler comes in and kicks ass for 15 minutes and then they move on and get rid of that. Do more storyline driven stuff. I I get, you know, the idea and the focus of in-ring wrestling, but... When every single one of your matches consists of 15 minutes of false finishes and 15 minutes of people kicking out of finishing moves, it gets old and it starts to feel like everything blends together into one and they've got to find out a way to develop that variety and develop that character development because all their characters and all their wrestlers feel the same uh, and it's starting to get stale, quite frankly. Number three, one team no one thinks could win the Super Bowl but that you're high on. Buffalo Bills. Uh, Buffalo Bills have a, have a loaded roster. If they could just get anything out of Josh Allen, I think that they're in position with New England kind of being not as good. Uh, they're, they're in great shape. I, I, that's an easy one for me. I, I love the Buffalo Bills, and I think that they're going to be in, in great shape going forward in the season. Number four, I like this. What is the most overrated Louisiana food? Um, let's see. I'll give you two. I'm going to go crabs, and I'm going to go king cake. And let me start with crabs. It's just too much work, man. Like you gotta, you gotta do like plastic surgery to get the shell open, and then there's all these blood and guts—not blood, but all these guts and everything. And it's grease on the inside, and all this work, and you get disgusting. Your hands all shriveled up and wrinkled with you know all the grease and everything, and you you, you you're a mess by the time you're done with it. There's just not enough meat there. Like, I'll eat a crab patty. I'll eat, you know, seafood gumbo with crab meat in it. I'll eat anything that has crab already pre-peeled. But I don't want to be the one doing the, the peeling. It's just too much work, not enough reward. And for king cake, um, it's just, just not my cup of tea, man. Like, it's too sweet. The bread isn't the right texture for me. Like, just give me a chocolate cake with, you know, vanilla frosting or vanilla uh, icing any day, um, any day over king cake. Now I'll eat it if it's there, 
But these people who spend, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks, if not more on a can cake, like, nah, man, uh, nah, yeah, give me a Snickers bar, give me a slice of regular cake. Um, just not my thing. It never has been my thing. Number five, would Michael Jordan be the best player in today's NBA? Uh, oh my God. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. Um, he would have put in the time to develop that three point shot and you just wouldn't be able to guard him. I mean, if they couldn't guard him when you, when you were able to assault players on their way to the basket, you wouldn't be able to guard him today without hand checking. He would live at the rim. He'd live at the free throw line. He'd be just a good enough three point shooter to get by. He'd be Russell Westbrook on steroids. He would be, uh, always in the paint, always doing things to, to attract offense to his team. He would average 35, 40 points a game without question. Favorite cereal um, is number six. You guys know me pretty good, man. Like If you guys are, are know that I, I love cereal, then that's somebody who knows me pretty well asking that question. Um, I like a bunch of them. I eat some of the really sugary, non-healthy ones, but I also eat a lot of the pretty healthy ones, you know, like Wheaties and Cheerios, whatever it may be. But you asked me for my favorite ones, so I got to go with Fruity Pebbles. Um, it's just it's just so delicious. Um, uh, yeah, Fruity Pebbles for me, and it's always been. And I like Fruity Pebbles in milk or outside of milk. And I don't care if they're crispy or soggy once in milk. It doesn't matter to me. Um, Fruity Pebbles is the pretty easy answer there. Number seven. On a scale of 1 to 10, how impressive will it be if someone hits 400 in the MLB reboot? That's a great question. That's a that's a wonderful question. Kudos to whoever sent that. Um, I'm going to say, I mean, 60 games is would be like if somebody carried a 400 average into like mid-June in a regular season or maybe even into July. Um, so I'm going to say... Uh, like an eight, like it's not a 10, obviously, because we see that all the time. Guys carry a 400 into the, you know, the later parts of the season, but I mean, it's still pretty damn impressive. So I'm going to go an eight and I'm going to even go a step further. And I'm going to say, I do think it's going to happen. I think someone's going to hit 400 this season. I don't know who it's going to be, be it Mike Trout, be it whoever else, but I think somebody's going to hit 400 this season. And I think that it's going to be pretty damn impressive when it happens. Number eight, our last question. Oh my God. Our last question is from a reader who wants to know. Um, I can't even believe I was given this. The last question in our Q&A is, would you rather watch 100 Nia Jax matches in a row or be on Facebook 48 hours straight reading coronavirus fake news? Um... I give me the Nia Jax matches, man, because I got to tell you, I spend a lot of time on Facebook reading the crap that you guys are posting. Um, and uh, not any of our listeners. And I say you guys, I don't mean to point it at anybody listening, but I have a smart leader, uh, a smart listenership. Um, but some of the things that are out there are really out there. Uh, so give me the 100 Nia Jax matches because I got a feeling that if She's in 100 matches, then Charlotte, Fair, Charlotte Flair will be in at least four of them. Uh, Becky Lynch will be in at least six or seven of them. Oscar will be in a few of them. Sasha Banks will be in a few of them. So there's going to be some talent there to observe, whereas there's no talent at all in, in some of the crap that I see on Facebook. So give me the Nia Jax matches and let's call it a day. Thanks to everybody for sending in your questions. If you want to get a hold of me, just at gmail.com. 
Uh, I was planning on doing a pay-per-view for WWE uh, review. I was going to get my picks and everything, but then realized, hey, the pay-per-view isn't until Sunday, so I could save that for my weekend show. Um, we're going to have a weekend show. I've already got the two calling guests recorded. We're going to have Randy Brown, professional basketball player locally. Uh, we're going to have Dr. David Elias with Artho LA. Um, you won't want to miss those interviews. So we're actually going to put a bow in it right here. My sports update ran really long. Uh, hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. Uh, it's hot, man. Stay hydrated. Stay out of the heat if, if at all possible. Um, find us on iTunes. Our numbers continue to grow. We have surpassed 2,000 downloads. I'm so grateful for that. We have surpassed 10,000 listens. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, so keep it right here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Big show coming over the weekend and after dark episode coming over the weekend. And uh, may God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Yeah.